What are the top information security issues facing businesses and government agencies as we look to 2010? Hi, I'm Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking today with John Pescatori, Vice President and Distinguished Analyst with Gartner, Inc. John, thanks so much for joining me. Sure, good to be here. John, just to start out, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and the types of issues you're most focused on these days at Gartner. Sure. Well, my background, I've been in security for something like 31 years now. I, I went to work for the National Security Agency right out of college in the late 70s, uh, worked for NSA and the Secret Service, and then 11 years for GTE and telecom security, and a couple of years with security vendors, and, and then here the past 10 years with Gartner. Um, so I, I have a pretty broad background in security. At Gartner, we have 25 analysts in the security practice uh, many of them focused on individual specialty areas within security. I tend to work in the threat area uh, and the areas that pull together multiple security disciplines, like dealing with some of the business process changes and threat changes that, that break the older type systems and, and the older approaches to security. Now, John, everybody from the president on down this year is talking about cybersecurity. What do you see? is the top information security issues that face businesses and government agencies as we head into the new year? Well, I think there's some new challenges and there's some continuing old challenges. I mean, one consistent question or message we get from chief information security officers is around security metrics and, and, and trying to answer the CEO or the CIO's question, are we safe? You know, that's still a very hard question to answer. It's hard to express that in business terms. There's been a lot of tries at, at, at just treating security like you would treat other business risks like financial risk, and that hasn't worked. So I think one major challenge continues for CISOs is just demonstrating the value of the cybersecurity or information security program, but also trying to give a dashboard look at are we safe? Is there problems coming? Are we spending too much or too little? Now, that's a continuing problem. However, there's two very new challenges. Um, what, we're, what we're seeing happen right now is certainly the threats have changed, um, but also business processes and the demands put on the IT organization and the information security organization are changing at the same time. At, at the same time, the threats are getting more targeted. The business and even government agencies are demanding that users be allowed to use home PCs, uh, their own smartphones, iPhones, and the like, be allowed to work from home, uh, be allowed to use social networks, use consumer-grade things like Google Apps and Skype and the like. So at the same time that the threats are getting more focused, IT is being forced to relinquish some control over the hardware and software and services that end users use to, to get the business done and, and touch privacy-related information and critical business processes. So dealing with those two challenges simultaneously, more targeted, deeper threats, and having to give up some levels of control, that's, I believe, the major challenge facing uh, security programs today. John, a few minutes ago you mentioned threats. Which threats concern you the most these days? Well, you know, if you think back a few years, say, uh, into the early 2000s, every uh, attack seemed to be taking advantage of buffer overflow vulnerabilities in software. And, and that went on for several years. And, and then we got better at uh, finding buffer overflow vulnerabilities in software before we let the software go live. 
And then after that, now you've seen command injection or SQL injection or cross-site scripting, and it seemed like every attack was exploiting those. So what happens is these threat delivery mechanisms usually hang around for a few years. Right now, for the, really the past two years, this botnet delivery cycle is, is what concerns me the most. It's really a major, major problem. And this is where user PCs get compromised by visiting a legitimate website that itself had been compromised and, and download some software from the user PC. That user PC happily goes back to work, talks out to the botnet command control center, downloads a very targeted attack payload. We've published some case studies uh, with some large global uh, commercial uh, businesses that have found on the order of 3 to 5% of their PCs have bot clients installed, and these are well-protected PCs. When you look at consumer PCs, uh, on the order of 30 to 35% of consumer PCs have bot clients installed. Um, that can be used to capture passwords and look for databases and so on. So the, it's a very um, clever mechanism. It takes advantage of um, how hard it is to keep a website secure, how likely users are to click on a website, and if it's a trusted name, let it download an active uh, X control that does damage or, or other types of malware. That that botnet delivery mechanism is what concerns me the most. I think it will be uh, the dominant threat delivery mechanism for the next couple of years. So flip side of that, John, what types of solutions give you optimism against these threats? Well, what I'm actually most optimistic about is something we we just see the tip of today. And you know, if you think back a few years when email viruses and email spam seemed out of control, um, today email viruses and, and most spam it's down to sort of a dull roar. I mean, email viruses have largely been uh, gotten down to a, a mere nuisance. Email spam, you know, depends on uh, what you consider a nuisance, but but largely they're down to a dull roar. Well, the, the major advance there was this idea of email security as a service, as a cloud-based service. So many, many people, the, the majority of the uh, new revenue in that area comes from companies redirect their mail messages, flows through email security filtering in the cloud, then their email comes to them. By doing it in the cloud, it wasn't just cheaper, but it could take advantage of seeing everything all at once, seeing hundreds of customers' email, much quicker ability to declare something spam or, or recognize uh, malware attachments in email. So that greatly helped us in the mail world. Now, email security has one great advantage. You can take a few minutes. Nobody knows if an email message comes in two or three minutes later. So you, you don't have real-time issues. But we're starting to see the capacity and the algorithms and the capabilities to do things like web security um, filtering in the cloud um, and other things, site protection in the cloud and, and many other security functions that way. So. Here's the scenario. The biggest challenge today is letting an employee uh, either work from their home PC or even on their corporate laptop connected directly to the Internet in a hotel room or on their home network or on a coffee shop Wi-Fi hotspot and, and access you know, Salesforce.com or other things stored out in the cloud. How do I inject my security policy in that? They're using probably a PC. I, I didn't supply them. They're using their own Internet connection, accessing the sensitive data stored out in the cloud. By injecting security as a service into that path, just like we did with email, we can actually inject security policy and do web filtering, stop bot clients from being downloaded, notice if 
one of our users is on a PC that is out there that is communicating back to the command and control centers and the like. So I, I think uh, by adding security as a service to one of our delivery mechanisms for security, from just software to appliances to also security as a service in the mix, I think that's going to help a lot. We've talked about quite a bit here. We've talked about malware. We've talked about the remote workforce. Um, we've talked about social networking. When you look ahead to 2010, what do you think our greatest challenges are going to be in facing these information security threats that we've talked about? Well, I think what Gartner calls this, uh, overall, the Gartner analysts that cover IT don't call this a threat. We in the security group call this a threat. I, we call it the consumerization of IT. Again, it's this this demand to use these consumer-grade things like the, the Google apps and the Skypes and the the Facebooks and MySpaces and Twitters and all this um, for business. We have this whole Gen X, Gen Y thing where this you know, 30-year-old employee who's in his most productive year as an employee grew up using social media, grew up using Skype. He grew up being the CIO of his household, and he doesn't think it's all that tough to manage IT, um, and he's used to doing things his own way. He's used to having more control over the IT users than, than typically IT is used to giving. So I think that's a major, major change. It's sort of like the same change when the PC came about. Right before the PC, all the apps were down in the basement, or at best they were on the you know the vaxes and departmental computing, and all the user got was a dumb terminal. The PC hit. The user had a lot more control, and it took us a long time to get security strategies up, strategies where we could protect the managed PC. What we're now seeing is that same wave happening business being done on unmanaged PCs or iPhones or other smartphones and unmanaged uh, social networks and the like. I, I think that's by far the biggest thing causing breakage to the typical information security program today and into 2010. Now, John, you spent a, a lot of time in security, and in fact, you probably have seen information security grow up. Your perspective, how do education and training have to evolve to keep pace and help us meet our needs in information security? Well, I, I think there's some definite things to avoid in education and training. Um, there, there's too much security awareness education and training that's done as a substitute for actual security controls. You know, the idea of, well, we told the users not to do that. They shouldn't have done that. Um, and posters in the lunchroom and awareness and education campaigns if, if that's all they're for, they, they don't help us at all. However, the flip side is there's been way too many deployments of security controls um, without trying to educate the user. I think when we when we look forward, the, the focus has to change here onto more uh, sort of safety campaigns versus the typical here's your responsibility type security type campaigns. Uh, you know, the, the real issue we see today, most attacks succeed or, or most data disclosure uh, incidents happen because of a mistake an employee made, not because of malicious insiders, not because of super-duper clever attackers, but really because of a mistake the user made. They, they clicked on something they shouldn't click have clicked on. They posted a document without realizing that Excel spreadsheet, the second tab down, had all those credit card numbers in it. Uh, they, they did something that would harm themselves, um, and, and it's so easy at the pace of change of IT to do that. You know, the, the example I always use is 
If you think of the automobile, most of the safety advances in automobiles did not come about because of government regulation. They came about because the insurance industry started seeing how people were causing crashes by you know, shifting the car out of park without having their foot on the brake. So we build an interlock in or electrocuting themselves when they opened up the TV set to see what was wrong. We built an interlock in. So I think a lot of awareness and education has to be to make people aware of the dangers of some of these things and be matched up with security controls that help stop people from making those dangerous decisions. So it's important to educate people, but we, we have to realize human behavior will always change much more slowly than the threats do. So we have to get people to insure their home offices and PDAs. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I, paying the insurance isn't the key thing. The conditions the insurance company makes you meet before they'll issue you insurance, you know, you want to get insurance on your house, you have to have a deadbolt lock, you have to have smoke detectors, and so on. But that's how actually most safety um, increases come about. So the insurance is less important than meeting the conditions that would enable you to get, get the insurance. John, as I sit here and look back on some of the big security stories we've seen this year, it's been Heartland, PCI, uh, recently the spear phishing attacks and, and mid small to mid-sized businesses sort of being fleeced. When you look ahead to 2010, what do you foresee as being some of the top information security stories we're going to be paying attention to? Well, you know, every year I do sort of a state of the threats and a uh, uh, a little uh, look back at the past year and presentations of the Gardner clients. So we'll certainly see more security incidents just like the heartlands of the world in uh, 2010. We, it, it, information technology has a lot of moving parts. Human beings will always be human beings. There will still be those incidents. Um, however, we have definitely seen um, several things. We've seen the threats coming from financially motivated attackers, cybercrime, um, and we've definitely seen more international cooperation in what law enforcement usually does, which is go after criminals. I, I think in 2010, we should see more successful efforts in shutting down some of these organized crime rings that are launching many of these attacks. Um, I, I think we'll also see a couple new forms of attacks. Uh, we, we've already seen the start of social networks being attacked because that's where people um, uh, now trust their, their friends lists and the like coming from those social networks. But things like Twitter being used as launching places for attacks, things like uh, text messaging in general um, being used for more and more um, uh, ways of either launching attacks or tricking people to come to compromised systems. I think we'll see growth in that area in 2010. Um, but I, I think the other thing, 2010 might be a little too early, but as, as you look at a lot of the pressure for things to go green, uh, reduce energy consumption, we see a lot of initiatives like the smart grid in the power industries in the U.S. and the, many other countries. Um, and we see a lot of newer technologies like Zigbee and other forms of wireless and the like being talked about uh, as ways to enable a lot of this green technology and, and smart, uh, 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 smarter grid type systems with very immature protocols, which always worries me. Similarly, when you look at virtualization, we've seen a lot of rush to data center virtualization. We see a lot of rush to cloud computing that's essentially just virtualization a little further away than your own data center. And many of the underlying technologies uh, used in virtualization are sort of first generation. So I think, you know, 2010 into 2011 will be the start where we start to see vulnerabilities found in 
all these hypervisors and virtualization and smart grid technologies and other forms of wireless and, and inevitably new technologies, new vulnerabilities, and the attackers leap on those very, very quickly. So I, I think that's probably some of the new things we'll see. One last question for you, John. If you could boil it down, what single piece of advice would you offer to organizations that are looking to improve their information security strategies? In other words, what's most overlooked in what they're doing now? Well, I, I always break this into two broad categories. One is looking at the security controls you've been doing for a long time and getting more efficient, reducing the cost of delivering the old stable security. You know, things like antiviral, uh, anti-spyware, firewalls, they, these are pretty mature technologies. Uh, we should be forcing vendors to either give us the same capabilities at lower cost or incorporate protection against the new threats at the same price. So more efficient and sort of the stable parts to free up some of the security budget to go after uh, early protection against these newer threats. The biggest mistake always being made is thinking defense in depth means continuing to spend on everything I was spending on and asking for more money. That doesn't work in business. That doesn't work in IT. That's not going to work in security. So focusing on, Garner says, look at platforms. On your desktop, you should have an endpoint protection platform, not six or seven different security agents uh, costing you hundreds of dollars per desktop. Similarly, at email, web, firewall level, have platforms uh, rather than scattered point products there. Look at a platform approach at each level, not one big box doing everything. Platforms at these logical levels. That will reduce the cost of that to feed towards being able to deliver security as a service. Think about how you're going to protect mobile users, how you're going to deal with these new wave threats without having some capability like security as a service that you can inject out into the way people are doing business. Now, and then the final thing is there are some good security metrics. People are always looking for a killer, you know, killer answer, the one single security metric. But there are some real good ones that you can use to demonstrate the maturity of your security program, um, the, the risk level you're currently at against the current threats and the like, pick two or three key security metrics that both can demonstrate the value and the status of the security program, but also give you an indication of where you can change and institutionalize those. Just start reporting on a monthly, tack them to the outside of the CIO's wall, just like he does for the service level of the network or the availability of the, the you know, storage farm or whatever. Make sure security is routinely reporting on metrics. John, I appreciate your time and your insight today. Thank you very much. Okay, great. Good to talk to you. We've been talking with John Pescatori, Vice President and Distinguished Analyst with Gartner, Inc. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.